Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. It happens every once in a while that someone will call the church looking for a congregation. Now, it becomes fairly quickly in the conversation, it becomes pretty clear that they're not looking for a congregation of faithful people who desperately cling to hope and gather week after week around the gifts of water, wine, and wheat and the word of God's promise to hold one another in all of our struggles and to lean into God's grace. But rather, a baby has been born, and baptism is a box on a to-do list that needs to be checked off. And in this conversation, I kid you not, at least once a year, I hear these words. You know, Pastor, we're just looking for a place to get the baby done. To get the baby done. That is a phrase that I'm not sure applies in almost any situation, but whatever, right? Now, as a pastor, this is a little bit frustrating for me. It's frustrating for a variety of reasons, but the main one is that when when a child is baptized, when anyone is baptized, we make promises as a community. And it's really hard to keep those promises. The promises to help that family nurture this child in faith, to help them bring them to the Word of God and the Lord's Supper, to place in their hands the Holy Scriptures, to care for the world that God made. There's a whole long list of promises that we together make with the parents and and hope to help them with. It's really hard to do that if we never see you again. And so it's frustrating as a pastor. On the other hand, as a Lutheran, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because baptism, like everything we do as church, is all about grace. Grace. Grace, which means God is doing for us the things that we could never do for ourselves. Grace, this gift of promise and hope that only God can give, the work that only God can do. That's what happens in these waters. And we are just grateful witnesses as God begins what God begins and as God accomplishes what only God can accomplish. This morning we hear the first part of Paul's letter to the Philippians. It is a beautiful letter written by Paul to a church that he dearly loved. Of all the churches Paul was related to, the Philippian church was by far his favorite, right? They were awesome. Now, we hear, as you just heard, that Paul writes this letter from prison. Now, that's not terribly remarkable because Paul spends a a great amount of his adult life in jail. He was constantly being jailed for the sake of the gospel. But it's not insignificant that Paul writes from prison. Now, because he was always in jail, we're not entirely sure which imprisonment we're talking about here. But Many scholars believe, and I'm, I'm persuaded by their argument, that, that Paul is very likely writing this beautiful letter to the Philippian church from Rome, which is his final imprisonment, and it ends with his death. Paul is in prison in Rome under a sentence of execution. He is as old a man as he will ever be. And that brings a kind of wisdom and focus to one's life when you know you don't have much time left. Now, 
in that kind of a circumstance, you would think that Paul would spend his time toiling in prison under the acute awareness that he's about to die. You would think that he would spend that time writing about really important stuff, right? Settling the great theological disputes or the great ethical debates or challenges of his day. And indeed, he does that. He writes lots of letters to lots of churches, and lots of churches are struggling with big stuff. And Paul writes about these things. But that's not the case with this letter to the Philippians. As I said, they're a really good church. Right? They've, they've got most things pretty well figured out. They're doing well. And so Paul writes to them not to settle some massive problem or to, to correct them in some major error, but he writes for two reasons, primarily. The first is that the letter to the Philippians is a thank you note. You know, like your mom made you do after Christmas, right? It's a thank you note. Because the Philippian church, out of their love for Paul, heard that he was in prison, and they gathered their resources, and they sent a man named Epaphroditus with all of these gifts to go visit Paul all the way over in Rome, to be with him in his imprisonment, to share some of their joy, some of their abundance, so that Paul wasn't alone, so that Paul had some money, some food, whatever they sent. And Paul is grateful. Paul is thankful that, that the love of Christ has filled this community in such a way that they pour themselves out in love for someone who they knew a long time ago and who is now struggling hundreds, if not a thousand miles away. And so Paul is thankful. The other reason that Paul writes is that despite the fact that the Philippian church is doing pretty well, right? They're a, a pretty strong, loving, gifted church. They're not perfect because no church is. And they've, they've got some struggles going on among them. And we hear about those later in the letter, but we won't read that uh, in church the next couple weeks. So I just want to tell you a little about it. He, he hears all the way over in Rome, if that's where he is, he hears that there are a couple of people at least who are fighting. They're mad at each other. Uh, their names are Euodia and Syntyche. Very easy to pronounce names, okay? Even easier to spell. So Euodia and Syntyche are fighting. And Paul writes to be thankful and also to try and calm down whatever is going on. Now, we have no idea what Euodia and Syntyche are fighting about. It could very well be that they're fighting about really important philosophical, theological stuff, right? As we heard last week from Vicar Marissa, these are Greek people, and the Greeks in those days were in love with wisdom. They were in love with truth. They were in love with philosophy. They loved to argue and debate and have questions. It's possible that they're arguing over really meaty, heady stuff. But if that were the case, you would think that Paul would insert himself into the debate in some way, right? He was a wise, smart you know, thoughtful guy, but he doesn't. It could be that Euodia and Syntyche, and maybe their representatives of factions, are fighting over really important ethical issues, as often happened in the churches that Paul related to. Maybe they're fighting about 
food and what kinds of food they're allowed to eat, or circumcision, or, or sexuality, or marriage. These are the kinds of issues that, that tore churches apart in those days. And Paul often intervened and, and, and reflected for the folks and, and weighed in to help them through those difficulties. But again, you would think if that were the case, we'd hear about it. But Paul doesn't mention what this argument is about. Which leads me to believe that it's probably about something even more important, like the color of the carpet, or how much noise from children is too much noise during worship, or when to schedule the church picnic. You know, things like that, that really, really matter. Whatever it is that they're arguing about, it has enough of an impact on the life of the church that Paul hears about it all the way over in Rome. I was listening to a podcast earlier this week about this text, and one of the Bible scholars who was reflecting on it said, you know, we are grateful, or ought to be thankful, that the churches that Paul dealt with in his day had really practical problems. Because those practical problems gave Paul an opportunity to reflect theologically to to reflect on the story of Jesus Christ and to bring that reflection to bear on these very practical problems. We're thankful for that because that means that 2,000 years later when our congregations have challenges, whatever they might be, that we can turn to Paul and see how the theology, the story, the gift, this heritage of the faith might help us ponder our way through whatever those struggles might be. And that, friends, is what Philippians does for us as people. In whatever we struggle with, as individuals, as families, as citizens, as members of church, it is an opportunity for us to reflect on what really matters. What is God really doing? What does the church say about the meaning of life and death? And what does that have to do with whatever thing is keeping us awake or causing us to struggle. And essentially, in so many words, what Paul writes to the Philippians is this. Take a deep breath and ask yourself, is this really that big of a deal? Is is what you're struggling with, in the grand scheme of things, that big of a deal? Enough that it would frustrate the community to which you belong. Enough that it would keep you up at night and and stand between you and a, a full and thriving relationship with God. Because folks, I'm about to die. And I'm in chains in Rome. So I have kind of some insight into what really matters. And I'll tell you what matters is this. What matters is the grace of God poured into our hearts in holy baptism. You see, in these waters, we have been bound to a story that is bigger than ourselves, that is bigger than anything we could ever possibly struggle with. And it begins among us a good and gracious work that God alone can do. And we are along to witness and to urge it along, but 
but we are spectators in the grand story that God is playing out. And as I approach the end of my life, I am confident that I will not complete this work by the time I breathe my last. The work of the gospel will not be done when Rome has my head. But I believe with all my heart that the good work that God has begun in me and in you will continue because it's in God's hands. And God will continue to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves until all is accomplished. And so when you're struggling with stuff, stop and ask yourself, what does my baptism have to say about this? As I struggle with this conflict I'm having with my neighbor, or this struggle I'm having with my kids, or this issue in my marriage, what does it mean to be baptized in this moment? To be bound to each other by a story and a work and a grace and a love that is deeper than whatever it is that's frustrating us. Is it really that big of a deal? And if it is, let's work it out. But let's do that as baptized people. And we'll hear a lot more about that next week. That baptized people are bound to a story of humility. A story of a God who willingly chooses to die as a slave, only to be raised up in glory. Baptized people give a little. They make room for each other's struggle. They remember that we're bound to each other by something deeper than whatever it is that's frustrating us. So stop. Just ask yourself, is this a bigger deal than your baptism? Probably not. A few years ago, I was a pastor in another congregation. I was gone that Sunday. We were doing a pulpit exchange with our partner church in Milwaukee. So I was down in Milwaukee. Their pastor was up in Fiendsville where I was serving. And at that time, there were a couple people at church who were fighting with each other. And we don't need to get into the details. It had something to do with personnel. It wasn't a meaningless issue, but it, it wasn't that big of a deal. But it was to at least one of these people. And so I was preaching in Milwaukee, and when I turned on my cell phone after church and I was driving back up to Fiendsville, I, I received like several emails and voicemails and text messages. My phone just blew up as soon as I turned it on. From all these people who were disturbed because what happened was this one person who was really upset, in the middle of coffee hour, right after worship, started screaming at another person, right? Just screaming at her. And all of these folks were really disturbed. Like, what the heck is happening, right? They had no idea. And it's particularly parents with children, whose children got to witness grown people, grown adults, turning coffee hour into fight club. Now, we don't need to get into much more detail than that, but I, essentially, I called this person into my office. And I said, look, you've got about like a lot of grievances, got a lot of things going on, and we can talk about any of that stuff. But before we do, I need you to take a deep breath and ask yourself, is this really that big of a deal? 
Is it that big of a deal that you would turn coffee hour, Sunday morning, this opportunity to connect to each other, to care for each other, to welcome strangers and visitors into an opportunity to just let them have it? Is that what we do? Friends, this is the gift of being baptized people. The gift of being baptized people is that we have this covering over us that reminds us when we are aware to stop, take a deep breath, and ask ourselves, does the future of the world or even the future of this relationship, or the future of anything worthwhile, really hang on who gets to win this argument or how this thing gets worked out. Ask Paul. Paul knows that where things truly matter, God's got it. Right? We are a part of a grander story than our own daily struggles. We are a part of the grand sweep of God's history, a history that is grounded and completed in God's grace alone. We will not accomplish all that we have been given to do. But thanks be to God, what has been given to us to do is minor in comparison to what God is doing for us and for the world. And that is really good news. You see, those those families that call and ask to get the baby done, they're totally right and completely wrong at the same time. They are totally right in that what happens in these waters finishes the deal. Right? In the water of baptism, God puts to death death and sin and puts the devil in his place. All that truly matters has been accomplished. We belong to God's eternal promise of grace and mercy, and that can never be taken away. It's done. And that changes everything for everything else that we face from that time forward. But they're wrong in thinking that that's the end of the story. Because God begins like the seeds planted in those pots. God begins a good work. God begins to plant the seeds of God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's joy in our hearts and continues to pour out God's love week after week after week until all things are brought to completion for us upon death and for the whole world when all is said and done. And so with Paul, when we are able to breathe deeply and to listen to the promise of baptism, we too can be confident in this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion. God will not leave us halfway along the journey, but God will do it all. Sometimes with us, sometimes in spite of us, but God will do it all. And our job, our work, is to simply be thankful. To be thankful for all that God is doing 
that our joy and our love might overflow into a world that is literally dying to know that love. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.